You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode... We're sexing some puppets in Fat Facts, apparently. We're indulging in some dangerous seamanship in The Randomizer. And we're introducing Intergalactic Rescue 4. That's all coming up in pod 246. Of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Um, did you say sexing some puppets? I think I did. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Well, 246. 8, 10, 12. Yes. It, I like that. I, I think we're skipping over the um, the other thing. What thing? Whereas, is this the first time we've said the S word <gasps> in um, in the Jerry Anson podcast? Uh, uh, I think it might be. But, but Jamie, you, yes. you've sort of given something away by saying that, haven't you? I think we've we've done this before. We've given away. I mean, you know, it's fine. <laughs> oh, I was just going along with the act. No, you've, you've blown no. everything out of the water. No, now. I haven't at all. I, I can't no. believe we said sexing. You no, you said it. Oh, then I said it. Did you? Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have oh. to wait and see what that's about, then, won't we? Yes. Anyway, uh, that voice weird. over there is the very sexy Richard James. <laughs> oh, how dare you! <laughs> I mean, what do I say about you? You want a, a compliment in return? Do no, you? it's fine. You can do something else. <laughs> That's Jamie Anderson. Yeah, all right, fine. Uh, also, the marvellous Chris Dale, who will be oh, joining yes. us later. He's also known as the Randomizer because, uh, yeah, well, he presents the Randomizer, which I see. It sort of it's does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? That's Randomly selects a random Jerry Anderson episode. But the whole thing today is all kind of Anderson related, isn't it? We do all sorts of uh, Andersony chat. Oh yeah, yeah, for a good hour and a half. Anderson I mean, you know. Gubbins. It might be a bit less today because we've got uh, oh. Intergalactic Rescue Four coming up, <gasps> yes. part one of two. So, um, oh, I see. Why do I mean? Why don't you just give a little pre-tease? We'll talk about it in more detail before the thing, but pre- okay. pre-tease IGR four. Well, Intergalactic Rescue Four is from uh, another lost Jerry Anderson project uh, from the seventies. I think it was uh, originally meant to be a thirteen-episode uh, family Saturday night tea time series featuring the exploits of uh, Jason Warren and Anne Stone, I think, and their two robots Alpha and Zeta aboard the amazing craft Intergalactic Rescue Four as they zoom around the galaxy, well, rescuing people. Makes How's sense. That? Yeah. Yes, the intergalactic rescuing of That's people. it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, which do you know which story we've got coming up? Parts one and two. It's it's the opening one, the one that Wayne recorded that you that's been on YouTube. That one. Oh gosh, I can't remember what that is, but I'm sure it's marvelous. It's the the slave traders, isn't it? Isn't that for? Well, isn't that the we already, Didn't we already release the slave traders? Only on YouTube. On the podcast. It's not. Out, it's never been on the podcast. No. Oh, Podsterons, you're in for a treat. You are the lovely Great. Wayne Forrester, and absolutely uh, uh, audio edited by Ross Arrowsmith, and it's yeah, uh, rather wonderful. lovely uh, yep. with a with a theme by Crispin Morrell. 
Yes, incredible. Oh, great. Well, that's that's lovely. That's something to look forward to. It is. But there's all sorts of other stuff to look forward to, including... Well, I mean, there's Fab Facts, if that's what you mean. <laughs> yes, and uh, but better yeah, than okay. Fab Facts, we've got... Ah, we've got the Jerry Anderson News. Absolutely. But better than the Jerry Anderson <gasps> News, we've got... Oh, we've got uh, Chris Dale's Amazing Randomizer. But better than all of that, we've got... Well, I know, I know. We've got the Podstrons. They've been emailing us at Jerry Anderson. No, podcast at jerryanderson.com. <laughs> They've been posting on our Facebook group. That's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Podstrons. And they've even been hashtagging us over on Twitter. Uh, hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast and tagging me, Richard N. James. Him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson. And him waiting rather patiently over there at Chris Dalek. Now, I have to say, you know, sometimes the emails are a little bit thin on the ground and sometimes we have a bumper crop. And that's fine. I, that's absolutely fine because, you know, these things come and go. Have a yes. guess what we've got today. Um, a, 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 a thin thin bumper crop? It is a bumper, oh. bumper crop oh, of emails. bumper, bumper crop. <laughs> yeah, got some corkers sent in this week. So, uh, yeah, we'll be coming to those fairly shortly too. I can't wait for those corkers. Mm. Uh, speaking of corkers... Yes. I can't guarantee it, but sometimes our fab fact is a corker, isn't sometimes, it? Sometimes. Sometimes it is, yes. Well, shall we I head... Mean, to, maybe no, once or twice. Stop it. Shall we head directly into fab facts and hope for a corking one? Oh, go on then. All right. Here's a hopefully corking fab fact. Now, time for this week's fab facts. It's uh, Richard's favourite and yours, Podstron. Oh, it's fab did, facts. Did they tell you that? They, they, it, the Podstrons have written to tell me that actually when they meet you in have person, they? you're always going on about how much you love Fab Facts. So They've said that? Yeah, yeah. They've dropped you right in it, mate. Mm, anyway, yeah. Fab Facts is where I've got a book of Fab Facts, which is here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a nice noise, wasn't it? I'll do that mm. again. And uh, Richard's going to shout Fab during True. the period in which I flick through the pages. That'll randomly land us upon one page in particular. And on that, we hope there is a Fab Fact. Um, and this time, we hope it's a corker. Yeah, well, uh, that's what I'm expecting. You've raised the bar a bit now. Okay, well, I'm ready if you're ready. Born ready. Let me just uh, crack a crack a knuckle, maybe. Oh, yeah, there we are. Okay, here we go. Fab. Oh, <laughs> caught you off guard. You did. Okay, okay. Oh gosh, I mean, so you'll like this because uh, this fab so fact bad. goes over two pages oh brilliant i can sit back and relax check the emails no because you're you going go. to be absolutely fascinated by this oh, yeah, sure. real corker of a fab fact uh, of so course I am. richard james mm-hmm. i'm sure you'll agree that it's probably fair to say that at least through the super marination era there were probably on average because of the time a few more male characters in anderson shows than there were female ones yeah yeah, yeah? Fair so, enough, yeah it therefore follows that there were, of course, more male puppets than female puppets. Yes. I'm glad you agree. Now, sometimes this allegedly caused a few problems during filming, namely not having a suitable female puppet when the script called for one to play a guest character or a background character. Right, okay. Now, sometimes this could be worked around in a fun or creative way. For instance, Dr. Beaker's cousin, Felicity Farnsworth... Mm-hmm. who appeared in a couple of episodes of Supercar, was created from a duplicate of the Beaker puppet made up to look female. Simple idea. But it was okay. quite effective for the time yeah, and the style sure. of puppet. Mm-hmm. However, Thunderbird showed us that male puppets didn't always make convincing female ones. Mm. There's a scene in the Duchess assignment 
where we see two older women in an art gallery, one of whom is played by Lil the Cook from Vault of Death, and the second, well, yes. um, rather than create a new female puppet as this guest character, they decided to take a rather craggy-looking male puppet seen <laughs> in a couple of previous episodes and put a long wig on him. Great. <laughs> um, after all, it was only for one shot. Nobody was going to still be looking at these things 60 years later and thinking no. he stood out like a sore thumb. And certainly no, nobody no. was going to be overanalyzing it in a no. fab fact in a podcast about no. Jerry Anson shows. That was never going to happen. No. So, moving on. Even in the Captain Scarlet era, though, we find female guest puppets were still a rarity. At this point, we should probably explain that one likely reason for this is that the heads of the male characters were sculpted with the necks attached as that one piece. Oh, yeah. Whereas on the female characters, the head yes. had no attached necks, we've covered this before, we and have. were mounted on a very special female character-only neck joint. In other mm. words, it wasn't just a matter of creating the head of a female character and sticking it on the on a standard puppet body, because you also had to make a specific female puppet body to go with the head to have the neck joint, you see? Yeah. With you, yeah. Gosh, but if the scripts that were being written mostly featured male guest characters, it probably didn't make much economic sense for the team there to create a load of female guest characters uh, to have them on standby mm. so when you look at all the puppets created during the captain scarlet and joe 90 and secret service era in addition to the male regular characters you'll find a pool of about 50 50 male guest puppets sure so richard would you care to take a guess not counting the regular female characters of the angels or mrs harris or mrs appleby yeah. How many female guest puppets were available during the 1960s Super Marionation heyday? Oh. And if we've got 50 male guest characters. Well, well maybe maybe six. Oh, that's not a bad guess, you know. Isn't it? I mean, you might think maybe half or quarter well, or 10% the number. Yeah, exactly. That's but what I was saying. Yeah. No, it was four. Just, just oh. four of them. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> those four are, if you're wondering... Linda Nolan, Mrs. Rose, uh, and the Mr. On models, Helga and Gabrielle. Mm. Uh, but obviously, as uh, one show finished, the puppets that had played main characters in that one then joined the ranks of the next show's guest cast. So, mm -hmm. for instance, several of the angels from Captain Scarlet did appear in Joe 90, Mrs. Harris from Joe 90 then appeared in the Secret Service, and so on. Oh, Even so... By the end of the Secret Service, that would have been almost a dozen female puppets and about 60-plus male okay. puppets. Okay, right, yeah. yeah. Now, of course, for the live-action shows, there was no problem with the, the availability of female performers, uh, <laughs> since uh, real human women exist yes. and are plentiful. Yes, and about crucially, percent of them, yeah. Exactly, they do not have to be specially built for purpose. <laughs> so that's great, isn't it? Uh, yeah. But even in Terrorhawks, there was sometimes a shortage of female puppets. Uh, for much the same reasons as the, the uh, Supermarination shows, in fact. Mm. Uh, sadly, not many scripts called for female guest characters. So mm. when some were needed for crowd scenes, they simply weren't there. No. Um, so, for instance, during the restaurant scene in the episode Space Cyclops, we can see among the background extras, Mary Falconer re-wigged with dark hair. Right. Uh, and two different versions of the Sue Ellen puppet, one of whom ends up playing two women sitting at the same table thanks to some clever editing. <laughs> I like that. That's so, good. Uh, it may <laughs> also have been that several space precinct background aliens played male and female roles during their careers. 
Mm. We certainly know that male actors played female aliens. Uh, Kieran Shah as yes. uh, what was the character Estes? Estes, Estes. that's Estes. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frodo's um, daughter. Yeah, that's Frodo. it. Yes. Frodo. No, no, not, not, <laughs> not Frodo the chocolate bar, yeah. Uh, or Frodo uh, from Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, Frodo, yes. So, Richard, do you have any memories on Space Precinct of seeing a guest alien being male one week and then returning the next as female? No. Okay, good. Uh, I mean, I remember sitting next to Christine Glanville while I think she was sculpting Podley's daughter. Yes. And she, her telling me, how much effort they'd gone to to create kind of differentiation between men and female faces yes. for, for, a, for an entirely made up alien race. It's quite yeah. something to That's right. to create that and deploy it. Yes, they had sort of wider eyes and fuller lips, I remember. That was Alexa Rosewood, I think, who played um, uh, Sabina, yeah, I, think you're right. I want Sab- to say. Yeah, Sabina Podley. That, right? that sounds, yeah. that sounds yeah. right. Yes, but I don't then think she ever played any male aliens either. No. No, because uh, the Creoles are quite different. Are different but I wonder right. if they did maybe more for the Tarns. But there we go. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's knows? a sign of the times, of course. Yeah. And now things will be quite different. Oh, uh, sure. I'm sure. But uh, I mean, you know, I, Jamie, as you know, I, I watch quite a bit of classic Doctor Who, as do you. Yes. And very often I'm sitting there thinking, well, where, where are the women? It's a planet full of men. Absolutely. <laughs> where are the women? Yeah. So, you know, uh, absolutely a sign of the times. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, it's very, very strange. But, you know, impressive creativity to uh, make these things work from time to time with limited yeah. resources. Indeed, yeah. There we are. A bit like the podcast. Uh, yeah, yes, it, it, indeed. It works from time to time. Yes. I mean, and it has are, limited resources. We are a bit male-heavy as well on the podcast. We are. But we are. We often mention that. That is to down ourselves. to the small cast, I think. Yes, That's the, yes. the problem there. But, uh, yes, true. yeah, we, we do our best to correct that when we can. Yes, yes. Anyway, mm. before we yeah. get ourselves into trouble, mm-hmm. uh, I think we should end this one. But, Posterons, if you do uh, spot any characters where they've been very, very creative with the usage to uh, introduce guest characters, guest female characters in particular, across the Superionation era, do email us podcastjerryanson.com. But until next time, that brings us to the end of this week's. Send sex a fact. fact. No, not oh, sex fact. Why did you say it. sex fact? Well, because oh, you said sexing. Cancelled. You said sexing. It's not a sex fact. Well, then why did you say sexing at the beginning? Ah, because it was in the script. Blame well, Ben Page for writing that in the script. Okay. Anyway. Let's let's move on. What have you got from the Podstrons? Well, now, they have been emailing us in their droves this week, as I mentioned earlier. It's a bumper crop of emails from the Podstrons, all sent in to podcast at jerryanderson.com. Here's one from Dennis O'Donnell, who says, Hi, Jamie, Richard and Chris. I love the podcast. Well, there's no accounting for taste, I suppose. He says, and I've been listening for a few months now. I was wondering if there's ever likely to be any... 4K Blu-rays of Anderson shows. I don't think the format would work so well on the Supermarination shows, but I think Space 1999 and UFO would look amazing in 4K and HDR. Here's hoping. All the best from Dennis O'Donnell. Mmm. Well, mm. uh, it's the only company that's likely to do that is, of mm. course, Network. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, despite the sad loss of, uh, of Tim, their MD, yeah. they are still very, very much actively working in the space. Um, doing all sorts of uh, bits and pieces. So it's possible. I suspect if anyone's going to do UHD uh, 4K stuff or any any show's going to be done that, it's going to be Thunderbirds first and Space second because of the popularity. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know what the, the, the market demand is for 4K remasters and they're certainly mm. going to be expensive. So, yeah, it's mm. a bit of a... 
Wouldn't okay. that be nice? But yeah. a bit of a shoulder shrug from me, I'm afraid to say. Indeed. Well, thanks for that, Jamie. <laughs> right, <laughs> this is from R. <laughs> now, there, this is a lovely one from Freddie and Carl Stevens. I so wanted to read this out saying, uh, Hello, Jamie, Richard and Chris. My name is Freddie Stevens. Uh, and I've sat here with my older brother, Kyle, composing this email in the hope you might be able to do us a favour in an upcoming podcast. Uh, we're writing about our dad, Ian, who's a member of the Facebook group and is a massive Jerry Anderson fan. We can just tell how important the worlds of Jerry Anderson are to dad. He only ever smiles when watching the shows, reading the books, or when he gets merch in the post. Yesterday, he pre-ordered some of the action figures that are coming out soon. I think he ordered three. But the thing is, every time dad thinks about ordering something, it's a massive decision because he thinks he can't justify it and that somewhere along the line, he'll regret buying them because if an unexpected bill turns up, for example, he might be in trouble. Take the new Space 1999 book that was announced. Dad loves that show, but doesn't think he'll pre-order it. Well, Kyle and I are going to order it for him. Ah. And if that is announced on the podcast, he can't stop us. Well, there Isn't you go. Now unstoppable. Yeah. There you go, Ian. Enjoy. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, to your, thanks to your sons for uh, that. Yeah, Freddie continues. Seriously, though, we wondered if you could uh, just give Dad a big shout-out. You don't have to read out this email, but we just want him to know he's an amazing person who we both look up to every day. If Kyle and I ever marry and have kids, we want to be as awesome as our dad is. He's doing an amazing job, and to let him know that we're happy to watch Jerry Anderson with him any time he wants. It doesn't have to be when I get fatigue. He doesn't know it yet, but we got him a little present that's arriving later today. The two Thunderbird movies, Thunderbirds I Go and Thunderbird 6 on Blu-ray. Oh, we're great. looking forward to seeing the smile when we give him those. Finally, sorry for the long-winded email, but we just want to say thanks for everything you do. Keeping the Anderson worlds alive means so much to so many people. And we're sure Dad isn't the only one who enjoys escaping to those worlds, but we could tell how much they mean to him and how much they help him. He loves the podcast, always smiles when listening to you guys and your gubbins, so please keep doing what you do because you're such an important part of his life now. Thank you so much for reading this. Take care, and that's from Freddie and Kyle Stevens. There. Ah, lovely. So there you go. A big shout out to Ian. Yes, we, we see your posts on the Podstrons uh, group there, Ian. And I know you've had a tough time. And I just hope we're helping a little bit, as uh, as Kyle and Freddie say. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Uh, no. Yeah. Here's one from Ian Sherlock. Hi, Jamie Richard et al. Just received my copy of the UFO Shadow Tech Ops manual. Like my Moonbase Alpha Tech manual, which I bought late last year, I absolutely love it. Fantastic. They go into so much detail with things you never knew you never knew. Well done to all involved. Um, in one of your recent podcasts, you were talking to David Mather regarding previous and future collectibles. Anyway, I happened to be in the Station Inn in Llandidno Junction and found a poster on one of the walls with reference to the original Dinky Toys. I remember having the Interceptor, the SPV, and the Blue Thunderbird 2, completely Thunderbird 4, and the Shadow Mobile. I also remember having the Green Eagle Transporter, and possibly Blue may have been White Eagle Freighter. Uh, oh, how I wish I'd kept him, says Ian. Keep up the good work, and thanks to everyone involved. I work nights, so it keeps me going listening to the up-to-date podcast releases, plus revisiting some of the previous ones too. Great stuff from Ian Sherlock. Thanks for that, uh, Ian. Uh, I've got one here. This is rather fun, actually. Uh, it's from Matthew Alderman Harris, who says, Dear Jamie and Richard, I thought you'd be interested to hear that I introduced a couple of my friends to Thunderbirds. Oh, did you? Yeah. The episode I chose to show them was Security Hazard, as that is the episode I watched first, and I think it's a good showcase for the series. Mm. I asked them some questions afterwards, and these are their answers, along with my own. Right, favourite Thunderbird? Well, Emily said Thunderbird 4, Lydia mm. Thunderbird 3, mm. Matthew Thunderbird 2. A nice spread. 
isn't it? F- Favourite character, Emily, said Scott Tracy. Uh-huh. Lydia said Scott Tracy. Ooh. Matthew said Virgil Tracy. Good choice, Matthew. I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. Favourite rescue sequence, Emily said Day of Disaster, Lydia, Sun Probe, Matthew, all of them. Uh, the Thunderbird that they would choose to pilot. Emily said Thunderbird 4 because it's small and manageable. Lydia said <laughs> Thunderbird 2 because she wouldn't want to end up in the sun in Thunderbird 3. And Fair. Matthew said Thunderbird 2 because it's my favourite and the most versatile. Other notes. Emily would like to be on Thunderbird 5 with John because he doesn't have too much to do except sitting around waiting for a call to come in. Lydia would like to be Lady Penelope because she has a chilled, glamorous lifestyle doing her nails. Nice. Uh, Matthew thinks that Virgil is a legend for driving all three elevator cars by himself. Also says Matthew. It's their birthdays on the 26th and 27th of February, so please could you wish them a happy birthday. So that's happy birthday to Emily and Lydia. I think we're just about in time, aren't we, for the 26th, 27th? Uh, yes, hmm. we are. Yes, yeah. we're released, released 27th. So Brilliant. Okay, this is the 27th, if you're listening on the day of release. And finally, Steve says, Hi, podcast crew. Okay, bear with me. We have Thunderbirds Day in September, but how about a whole month? And if so, what about March? We could even call it Thunderbirds March. March. I I see. You see, Steve says the object of the month could be to play the Thunderbirds March to someone who may not recognise it and introduce them to the genre. I'm going down to the Potter's Arms to discuss it tonight. Keep on potting from Steve. That's a great idea, isn't it? Thunderbirds March. I mean, you can't go round just (coughs) playing the Thunderbirds March to strangers in the street loudly. Why not? I don't know. Feels a bit like some sort of assault there, but okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but certainly friends, you know, people that you know, might be worth just playing on the Thunderbirds March and say, do you know what this is? And uh, spark up a bit of a conversation. Yes, yes, I suppose. It'd be an icebreaker, wouldn't it? It would certainly be something. <laughs> anyway, all for now. But do keep them coming in. It's good to have a bumper crop of emails every week. So send in your uh, thoughts, comments, reviews and ideas to podcast at jerryanderson.com and I'll read them out next time. Uh, I'm already looking forward to it. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm sure you are as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. To a point. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, fine. <laughs> well, uh, can I interest you in some news from the world of Jerry Anderson? Do you think would that be okay? Oh, yes, please. Sure? Oh, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay, well, with that level of certainty... Oh, hang on. Uh, yeah, go on. Here's this week's Jerry Anderson news. It's the Jerry Anderson news. 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 Oh, you went uh, all staccato well, you, there. Well, you went a bit staccato at the beginning. Well, I was sort of hesitating for you, but uh, oh, that's all right. We've got a new fun. style now. Uh, yes, news from the worlds of Anderson, Jerry Anderson, etc. Um, yeah. You may have noticed that Space 1999 to Everything That Was is now available to pre-order at a special pre-order price of $35.99. But what is Space 1999 to Everything That Was? I hear you ask. Yeah, what well, is Space 1999 to everything that was? Well, I can tell you that it's a 300-page graphic novel taking uh-huh. selected strips from the uh, USA-based Charlton Comics, or Carlton Comics, depending on how you pronounce it, oh, okay. uh, how you pronounce it, um, mm-hmm. as well as uh, selected comics from Look In. They've been remastered, uh, adjusted, included with some unpublished material, and threaded together to create a rather special story that links Year One and Year Two of Space 1999. Oh, does it explain why there's a new theme tune? (laughs) I don't think that's uh, in-universe, I'm afraid. This is only in-universe stuff. But 
but but it's a book that was originally available 10 whole years ago hasn't been available since ah. uh, and we are republishing now as a beautiful hardback edition in the same size and style as our ufo and fireball comic anthologies will sit beautifully alongside them and later in the year we'll be releasing aftershock and awe which is a separate graphic novel that tells the story of what happened back on earth after the moon was blown out of Earth's orbit. I hope that's oh, a I spoiler see. for you if you've not seen mm. Space 1999. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a pre-order price available until this Friday. It's 35.99 until Friday. Then it goes up to 39.99. Uh, 304 pages of gloriousness, including previously unpublished material and a preview of what might have been, uh, which was uh, the original publisher, Blam, their plans for a year three graphic novel collection of space 1999 so what happened after the end of year two um we're going to look mm. into that for the very very first time so it's very exciting Ooh. yeah and i'm very happy about it so Great. uh go and grab that a beautiful cover lovely stuff uh so enjoy knock yourself out uh, also a thing that we put up for pre-order but we've shipped very early five star five book oh, two the doomsday well, device hey, i know was due for yeah. release on the 28th that's tomorrow oh, from the day of release but it's already out and shipping so I've if you mine. pre-ordered it yeah. Or if you're, or, or if you're the author of the book, mm. you will already have your copy. Um, Amazing. Uh, and are you happy, Richard, with the, oh, uh, yeah. the results? Yeah. Do you know? I I sat down and read it from cover to cover. Did you? How strange! Yeah, that I must did. have been a weird experience. Well, it was because you know it's a while ago. It was about a year ago. I wrote it, so yeah. actually it was quite nice revisiting it and uh, seeing what the old uh, the old gang were up to. And it's, it's quite good, you know. Beautiful cover on it as well. Oh, lovely! Looks yeah. lovely alongside book one. Um, it does. If you missed out on getting book one, the paperback version is available on Amazon mm-hmm. and elsewhere. So there you enjoy that. Now, as part of our sort of celebration of this coming out, uh, Chris Dale has threaded together our Lost Worlds primers on YouTube, and there's also a lovely article so you can learn about all the Lost Worlds of Jerry Anson. Those are basically the things where they were only pilots or bits of paperwork, things that were never produced, written and pitched, but never put out there. Uh All that sort of stuff we class as the Lost Worlds, and Five Star Five is part of that. Yes, yes. Something which is not a Lost World, however. Stingray. Mm. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, Lots of you have been asking, when did the vinyl version of the soundtrack come out? Well, it's available for pre-order now. It's coming out in June. Uh, You can pre-order a copy from the Jerry Anson store, shop.jerryanson.com. Just uh, search for Stingray and you'll find it right there. I think it's lovely grey vinyl with a blue label. Ooh. Very sort of ocean depths kind of colour. Yes, love it. Uh, Now, I didn't write this new section... Yeah, I know what's coming. Third from the bottom of yeah, I see uh, that. this, it oh, says, I see that. Yes, Jamie 38, Jamie 38 with an exclamation mark. So, yes, <laughs> this Wednesday is my birthday. Oh, isn't that nice? special? Uh, I'm recording two podcast interviews. <laughs> Great. Excellent. So, no. That's all right. Uh, no, that'll be lovely. So, yes, that's nice. Thank you, Ben, for including that. Yes. Uh, but moving swiftly on later this week, yeah. uh, it's the Jerry Anderson or the Anderson Cartoon Museum Capsule Exhibition. Right. Uh, which So the Cartoon Museum is in London, just off Oxford, oh, yes. uh, Oxford Street. And we've got a small capsule exhibition that's running there for three months. You can go and see original pages from various comics, as well as other bits and pieces and a lovely Stingray model. Um, mm-hmm. And also experience the rest of the Cartoon Museum, too, because they've got loads of uh, permanent stuff there, which is lovely. Uh, and that's open from the 3rd of March. Okie doke. Well, I so, might pop along to that. Uh, you should. And, yeah. of course, as always, uh, for the rest of the year, on the 10th of each month, running up to 1010, that's Terrorhawks Day, we're yep. celebrating something Terrorhawks. So... So keep an eye out for the 10th of March and you'll see uh, oh. something Terrorhawks. Oh, 
Oh, great. There you go. Like uh, it. Now that, I think, brings Crikey. us to the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. Bumper crop of news. <laughs> bumper crop of emails, bumper crop of news, bumper crop of anything else. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but it is though, isn't it? It is, you're that right. That's amazing. So much going on. Very and exciting. much more, as uh, now, well you know. Well, quite. Uh, talking of so much going on, there's an awful lot going on on our Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, do pop along and join in the fun. For example, Tom Hodden posted a poll. Which is your favourite moment from the super secret podcast that only podsterons have access to? Now, we try to keep this quiet, don't we, Jamie? But anyway, he's offered some options. Jamie's exciting rooftop showdown with Joe 90. Mm, that was thrilling. Eight, no, eight votes. Uh, Chris Fair. and Marina auditioning for Strictly. Oh. Six votes. God, you uh, hear Mitch every move, can you? standing for Parliament. Five votes. Yeah. Richard, uh, Richard borrowing Fab One to hunt down Torchy. Two votes. Yep. And with one vote each, up late with Professor Bergman. I mean, I like the sound of that. Or Lavender Castle on Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that for sure. Gosh. Well, with uh, Captain Thrice playing the banjo. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Many more posts on our Facebook group, of course, because people love to post their merch and their thoughts and ideas. Uh, our own Louise posted, which Jerry Anderson character would you most like to meet? And what would you say to him or her? Well, Richard Crane says, from Thunderbirds, I would like to meet Virgil Tracy, as he's the pilot of Thunderbird 2. From Stingray, I'd like to meet Marina, as, like Troy Tempest, I too imagine her able to talk. And from Captain Scarlet, I would like to meet Destiny Angel, as I love her French accent. Mm. Ah. Paul Hyder says, I'd like to meet Joe 90 and give him Jamie's brainwaves and watch the self-loathing begin. Ooh, a horrible thought. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Joanne Bennett says, Virgil Tracy, so I could ask him to marry me. Ah. Louise also welcomed our new members to our Facebook group. Oh, yes. Uh, this week, they included Amy Addison, Derek Mason, James Collins and Tanusha Carano. And uh, she said, let's welcome our new members. And uh, what was the first thing you saw? De Derek Mason says, thanks for the ad. I first saw Thunderbirds in late 65 and promptly asked for a Thunderbird 2 when they were released here in Canada. Ah, Gosh. Nice. Tom Hodden again has posted a link to a metro.co.uk article. Aliens could be deliberately avoiding NASA rovers on Mars. Could they indeed? You see, there's always a link. Extraterrestrial life on Mars could be dodging scientists trying to track them down. As instruments may not be sensitive enough to find them, it has been revealed. It's rather tenuous, isn't it? It is. But of a course, bit. Tom says, yeah, he suggests that maybe rock snakes are out there. Could could well be, yeah, and they collapse down to their piles when the rover's looking yeah. and then, you know, do their stuff. But then why wouldn't they, uh, you know, send their weird fireballs out their mouths and blow up the rover? I don't know. I haven't really thought it through, Jamie. Well, I am doing I that tell right that now. I you're doing exactly that. <laughs> uh, Joanna Hollis says, uh, catching up with Guy Martin, great British power trip, uh, which I think is on Channel 4 at the moment here in the UK. And look what makes an appearance. It's only Thunderbird 3. If only they could convert seawater into fuel, like on Thunderbirds. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, yep, she included a picture of the Thunderbird 3 that we featured somewhere uh, previously on a podcast. It's at some airfield somewhere. Oh, the think, airport, it? yeah. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll I want to I mean, say Humberside, but that's uh, not a, mm. not an airport, is it? See, I want to say Sheffield, but I don't know. It's, hmm. uh, it's I'm, yeah. I'm trying to find now because I've forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, the, in the meantime, uh, Peter Dowling posted from Diecast Collector, Collector, issue 306, April 23. Prices paid at auction for Jerry Anderson original pieces. And Richard, Richard, a picture. Yes. I'm sorry to disturb you. But, it but is, I was right. No, I was right. It's hum, oh. Humberside Airport. 
<laughs> Sorry, do, do carry on, do carry well on. Well done. Just well had remembered. to gloat there for a second. Of course, yes, gloat away. Uh, yeah, Peter Daly uh, included a picture here of uh, TV favourites of success at C&T. Uh, yet more vintage TV favourites were up for bidding at C&T, that's uh, C&T Auctions, uh, in January with a trio of Jerry Anderson dinky toy creations achieving superb prices. So, have a guess at these. Number 100, Lady Penelope's Fab One, pictured below. What would you pay for that, do you think? Oh, uh, four hundred and eighty-four pounds. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. Five hundred and twenty. It went for uh, not number one hundred and one. It's Thunderbirds two and four in original packaging. Yes, six hundred and twenty pounds. Oh, you're good. Seven hundred and eighty. I mean, oh, that's, 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 a, oh, that's more than I thought. Okay. Good price though. And finally, uh, lot number one hundred and four was Spectrum Pursuit vehicle. Uh, what do you think that uh, again went for? an original box? Mm-hmm. Uh, five hundred and ten pounds. Oh, you're so good at this. 400. I mean, you know, oh, you're, you're in the ballpark. Okay, on yeah. a good day, it could have gone for 510. I was expecting that Scarlet, that, because the SPV is so cool, it might have, have gone close to Fab 1, but uh, of course Scarlet a bit yeah. less popular. So uh, sure, Anyway, it's amazing, go. isn't it? You know, these, these toys which were, you know, obviously extremely precious to kids back in the mm-hmm. in the 60s and, you know, got lots of, of, of playtime and some people have kept them pristine, but you, you never have thought, surely, that... You know, 50, 55, 60 years later, they'd be worth hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's right. I know. But but they still mm. mean so much, don't they? That's the thing. To absolutely. Some people, you know. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, great. So there we are. If you see anything up for sale, do let us know at podcast at jerryanderson.com. Maybe we can all club together and buy something. Yeah, but then we've got the timeshare issue. Who has it when? <laughs> yeah. Birthdays, yeah, Christmases, uh, weekends. <laughs> I, I, I think we're asking for trouble here. Yeah, yeah, there we are. That's all for now, but do join in the fun at our Facebook group. There's a couple of questions and uh, we'll let you in and you can uh, post whatever you like within reason. Within reason. I was going to say, <laughs> don't give them carte blanche, for goodness sake. No, no, never do that. Whew, okay, good. Uh, Richard James, I believe yes. that yeah. when you're not recording podcasts or appearing oh, yeah. on stage or screen, yeah, 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 do that uh, well. delivering courses, okay, uh, I do that too. you know, Crikey. recording uh, audio dramas for Big Finish or, wow. or other I independent mean, authors... Wa- I- why am I still so poor? Um, being an incredible uh, husband and father, <laughs> uh, in amongst ah, yes. all of those things, yeah. sometimes you sit down, yeah. uh, have yeah. a coffee. I do, and that also write some Anderson-related material. I do, and I love it. Yeah, well, we love it too. So, not only in the news that we've been talking about Five Star Five, the Doomsday Device, which you wrote. But mm. now, as our special feature mm. this week, we've got part one of two of something which you also have roted. <laughs> right. So could you tell us about this? Uh, why did you write it? What is it? What did you have to work from? And what can people yeah. expect from part one? Oh, right. Well, I wrote it because you asked me to. <laughs> Okay, yes, that's good. Correct. <laughs> it's that simple. Now, I think actually we did mention both uh, Intergalactic Rescue 4 and uh, Star Cruiser in the same breath yep. in a previous podcast, I think, in uh, in, in a Fab Fact. And uh, you very kindly sent me the uh, the treatments, as they were. Uh, oh, a full script for Star Cruiser, in fact. And said, uh, you know, could we do anything with these? Is there life for either of these? And I read Star Cruiser and thought, <laughs> not really. <laughs> uh, but then I read Intergalactic Rescue 4. And it really did leap off the page. So what I was presented with actually was, uh, I think there were 10 uh, treatments, some of them quite half-baked, some of them quite detailed, for episodes of a new series, Intergalactic Rescue 4, featuring Jason Warren and Stone. And they're two robots zooming about the galaxy in a sort of a Swiss army knife 
of, of a spacecraft uh, intergalactic rescue four which is able to transform into uh, a seagoing craft or it's got a drill bit on the front of course so it can drill through uh, hardened concrete it could it's got special i think pulse engines which send it from one end of the galaxy to another in a, in a split second uh, so it can zoom around effecting rescues and i adapted 10 of those stories into a novel stellar patrol the first story i chose was the slave trader uh, part one of which i think we're going to hear shortly we are uh, narrated by the fantastic wayne forrester amazing so this is all yeah. very exciting. I love the fact that we can mm. dig stuff. Literally, in not that many months, really, in the scheme of things, yeah. something has been pulled Absolutely. from my filing cabinet yes, and is now brought to life. On people's shelves. In this yeah. lovely way. It's on people's shelves. It's going to be in your yeah. ears. And that is very cool. So yeah, what a lovely process. And yeah. thanks for thanks for doing it. Thanks for throwing oh, your all and doing it. Um, <laughs> so right. here, without further nonsense from me or from him, mm. uh, here's Intergalactic Rescue 4. Slave Trader Part 1 Intergalactic Rescue 4 by Richard James We've got a ship in distress. We are Anne Warren and Jason Stone aboard the League of Planets ship Intergalactic Rescue 4. How can we help you? What is your emergency? Alpha, Zeet, stand by. Affirmative. These two young people are its crew. And what a marvelous ship it is, too. One, the slave trader. The alarm interrupted the small crew of Intergalactic Rescue 4 at their breakfast. Just as Jason and Anne settled down to protein flakes and coffee, it sounded loud and clear against the background hum of the ship's idling pulse drive. There is a distress call, Master Stone, explained Alpha. You don't say. Jason winked as he swung his legs from beneath the table. Anne munched on the last of her cereal as she rose from her seat. He means, she began kindly, let's see it on the flight deck, please, Alpha. The small box-like robot blinked and whirred in response as he relayed the information to the main screen. Although Intergalactic Rescue 4 was an enormous ship, the flight deck was just a short sprint away from the crew's quarters. Most of the craft's bulk was given over to its vast engines, armaments, and equipment stores. Being a multi-purpose rescue vehicle meant there was little room given over to the luxuries of life. Give me the details, Zeet, Jason barked as he ran onto the compact flight deck. Grabbing at the bulkhead, he swung himself into one of the two pilot seats with practiced ease. Zeta pointed at the screen with an extendable arm. The diminutive robot was almost identical in every way to the small droid Jason had just left in the canteen, except where Alpha had been the first model off the production line, Zeta had been the last. Quicker, stronger, and more efficient in every way, Zeta fancied himself as the superior specimen. Alpha 
much older and therefore much wiser, knew different. He was proud of his advanced years, even choosing to walk with a limp to differentiate himself from his younger counterpart. What's up, Zeta? Anne lowered herself into the second pilot's chair and focused on the screen before her. A stricken vessel of unknown origin is transmitting a distress signal on all frequencies. A pulsating dot of light appeared on the screen as reams of text scrolled beneath it, detailing its speed and trajectory. Behind it loomed a large planet, a giant swathed with swirling clouds. Origin? asked Jason. Unknown. Configuration? Unknown. Jason frowned. That's quite an erratic course, Anne whistled. Engine blowout? They certainly appear to have lost propulsion, Zeta agreed. Jason took a breath, suddenly decisive. Then let's get to it, Zeta. Lay in the coordinates. Just a minute, Anne interrupted. Look at that. She pointed at a text box beneath the flashing dot. Their altitude has fallen fast. Just how big is that planet, Zeta? The box robot whirred and clicked as it calculated a response. It has a radius of 85,000 kilometers. Jason puffed out his cheeks. Jupiter's size, he exclaimed. That ship is being pulled right into it. Anne nodded patiently. And so would we have been if we'd gone charging in. Jason flashed her his most winning smile. Point taken, he said. Zeet, recalculate and punch in our best approach route. Carefully, interjected Anne, a note of caution in her voice. I've already had to skip breakfast. I don't want the day getting any worse. The stricken craft tumbled helplessly as it fell, held in the grip of the huge planet's gravitational pull. I can't get alongside it, Anne yelled desperately from her controls. Its course is too erratic. So pull out, Jason called from his chair. IGR-4 had traversed the distance to the distressed ship in an instant, its pulse drive punching a hole in the very fabric of space. Now, as Anne's fingers flew across the flight controls, it moved to a safe distance from the doomed ship. Let's suit up. Jason spun his chair from the flight console. Are you crazy? Anne's eyes were wide. Why don't we just tow it out? Jason stopped in his tracks and looked at the small robot at his feet. Zeet, what are the odds of success if we put a tractor beam on that craft? Zeta whirred and clicked again. Owing to the enormous gravitational pull of the planet, the tractor beam would be of negligible use. It might hold the ship for a while, but any attempt to tow it out would meet with a .004 chance of success. And interrupted. It'll just pull us in right after it. So how long would we have? We could hold the ship stationary for 29 minutes and 33 seconds, replied Zeta coolly, his servos whirring. Okay, Jason shrugged. That'll be long enough. Anne swiveled to her co-pilot. Really? Are you seriously suggesting just walking right in? Of course not, replied Jason with a grin. I'll knock first. And what'll he do then? All indications are that there is a problem with the engine, Jason explained gently. If I can fix that, 
Uh, they'll be on their way in no time. Anne nodded. To give him his due, Jason was eminently qualified to fix anything. She remembered how he had excelled in the spacecraft maintenance module at the Academy. It was decided that Jason should take Zeta with him and leave Alpha behind with Anne in charge of IGR-4. The older robot was put out at first until Anne pointed out that calculating the parameters of the tractor beam was by far the more responsible position. With the ship held firmly in IGR-4's tractor beam, Jason extended the docking arm to the craft's airlock. The beam had at least stopped the ship pitching and rolling. It looked almost sedate, thought Jason as he looked through a viewing hatch beside the docking arm, although he knew it was only a temporary state. A wrist chronometer told him he had just 23 minutes left before IGR-4 would relinquish its protective hold and the docking arm would be sheared away. In the short distance traversed in a couple of minutes, Zeta extended a mechanical digit to connect with a service node by the airlock doors. A few turns and the doors slid aside to allow admittance. Jason felt the unknown ship's artificial gravity grab a hold of him, his boots making contact with the metal grating on the floor with an audible clang. So, where's the welcoming committee? came Anne's voice over Jason's helmet comms. She was monitoring the situation on a screen back on IGR-4, the image being fed directly from Zeta's visual circuits. Perhaps they've been told never to answer the door to strangers, sneered Jason, as his robot companion got to work on the inner door. The hatch behind him had slid shut, and wall-mounted lights blinked on to illuminate the scene. It's nothing special, he reported back as the inner door rolled back into the wall with a soft click. Looks purely functional. Jason walked stealthily into the corridor beyond, mindful of the ticking chronometer on his wrist. Titanium hull, announced Zeta to no one in particular. Evidence of cannibalization of parts. Jason looked around him as he walked. The robot was right. The walls were lined with mismatched panels and exposed machinery. It seemed to have been cobbled together from countless different ships. No wonder Zeta had struggled to identify it. Perhaps I'd better get straight to the engine. Jason was suddenly worried about just what sort of a mess he'd be confronted with. He had felt confident enough in the face of the expected sublight drive, but now he wasn't so sure. What if the engine was as much of a mismatch as the rest of the ship? He glanced at his chronometer. Nineteen minutes remained. Just as he was calling up the ship's schematics on a wall-mounted computer console, he heard the hiss of an interior door. Zeta had been busy at another control node. As the door slid back into its housing, Jason took a breath. Before him were a dozen humanoids, each chained to the other with heavy iron links. Shabby, shapeless robes hung from their shoulders. They wore downcast expressions on their heavy-browed faces and barely seemed to notice their new visitor. Anne, are you seeing this? Jason breathed. Looks like we got ourselves a slave ship. You gotta get them out of there, came Anne's voice. And you've got less than 17 minutes to do it. 16 minutes and 13 seconds, chimed Alpha over the comms. 
He always was a stickler for detail, said Zeta with a robot sigh. Having checked the ship's internal atmosphere, Jason flipped the visor on his helmet. The air was breathable. Hey, he called to the assembled slaves. We need to get you out of here. They turned their heads towards him, clearly struggling to focus on his words. Of course, Jason muttered. They're drugged. I would close your visor again if I were you, exclaimed Zeta suddenly, sniffing the air with his olfactory senses. The atmosphere is laced with a synthetic sedative designed to keep them compliant. Jason snapped his visor shut at once and switched on the speaker in his chest unit. Everyone, follow me and you'll be fine. The strange aliens shuffled their feet towards him, Zeta cutting through their chains with a laser as they passed. Quickly! yelled Jason as he turned to lead the motley band back to the airlock. Wait! called Anne in his ear. What about the pilot? Our readings indicate the ship was under manual control before its accident, so there must be a pilot. Jason groaned as he thought of the minutes ticking away. Before long, the ship would be ripped from IGR-4's docking arm to continue its fall towards the huge planet below. And he'd much rather not be on it when it did. Okay, he called, holding up a hand to get the attention of the alien slaves. Where is the pilot? Vacant eyes stared back. Where is the pilot? Jason tried again, this time enunciating more clearly. He pointed to the empty seat by the flight controls and, ridiculously, found himself miming steering a ship. Still, there was no response. Zeet? He barked to the diminutive robot at his feet. You find the pilot. I'll lead this lot off the ship. Zeta beeped in the affirmative as Jason corralled the aliens away. The robot opened a connection to IGR-4 and requested an infrared scan of the slave ship. Alpha sent over a live image of the craft and Zeta used his visual circuits to project it onto a nearby wall. The slave ship's systems pulsed red. Zeta could make out the glowing forms of the aliens as Jason led them through the airlock to safety. The engines, crippled as they were, still let off a ferocious heat, glowing white-hot on the image before him. Leaning forward on his stubby feet, Zeta could dimly make out something else. There, in the engine room, was another heat signature. From the scale of the image, the robot could deduce its exact size and location. A humanoid approximately six feet tall, was, quite inexplicably, lying on the deck by the fuel input. Seeing that Jason had made it back through the docking arm to IGR-4 with his strange entourage, Zeta checked his internal chronometer to see just how much time he had left. Twelve minutes remained. With a whistle, the little robot turned about and deployed his wheels. Lifting his feet from the floor, Zeta trundled from the room at considerable speed, eager to reach the pilot before time ran out. I put the feed from Zeta on the screen, said Anne as Jason led the alien slaves into the canteen. Freeing himself from his spacesuit, he hung it in its compartment, then joined the aliens by the food dispenser. Food, he explained slowly. Eat if you are hungry. 
one of the taller aliens stepped forward, his hands raised in front of him. Jason saw a strange symbol had been branded on his neck. He noticed that the other slaves watched this man's every move. The alien seemed to look deep into Jason's eyes, as if trying to read his thoughts, then, quite suddenly, clapped his hands together. At this signal, his fellow slaves fell upon the food in the dispensers, eager for nourishment. Thank you, said the alien unexpectedly. Jason blinked in surprise. I am Okron. We are from the planet Thika 7. I speak for my people. We have just nine minutes before we have to let your ship go, said Anne quickly as she moved between them. But we think there is one person left on board. Jason nodded. Where is your pilot? Okron turned to face a screen on the wall as his fellow slaves sat to eat. It displayed Zeta's view from the slave ship. Cluttered corridors whizzed past as the little robot approached the door to the engine room. It opened with a hiss as Zeta pressed a console on the wall to reveal a room full of smoke. Loose cables sparked from the floor. Zeta pressed forward through the heat to find a man lying prone on the floor, his leg trapped beneath a mesh of twisted metal pipes. There, said Okron, pointing at the screen, and may his death be slow and painful. His fellow captives murmured in agreement, and noticed several of them make a strange sign across their chest. Zeta, she called into the comms, you gotta get him out of there, and quick. His leg is trapped beneath the pipes, came Zeta's response. The image zoomed in on the twisted cables. The pilot's moaned filled the canteen. Please, he was mumbling, delirious. You've got to save me. One of those pipes is a fuel line, Jason panted, his eyes wide. Cut through that, and we'll all go Nova. Anne saw Zeta light up his laser attachment in anticipation of making a cut. But which one? She punched a button on the comms console to speak with the pilot. This is Anne Warren from Intergalactic Rescue 4 of the League of Planets. We will attempt to free you, but we need your help. She leaned in closer to the mic. Which of those pipes is the fuel line? The pilot grunted as he lifted his head to look down. I can't tell you, he hissed. His jaw clenched with pain. I'm a pilot, not a goddamn engineer. With that, he sunk back into a murmuring delirium. Jason? Anne turned to her co-pilot, beads of sweat pricking at her forehead. What's your best guess? Jason shook his head. I can't tell. The engine's cobbled together from so many different components. I thought you were the expert, Anne pleaded. If Zeta doesn't cut him out of there in the next six minutes, the tractor beam will fail and he'll die as the ship hits the planet. That would be too good for him, said Okron quietly. He does not deserve such a quick death. Anne wheeled round. Who is that man? she demanded, pointing to the screen. Okron took a breath and looked at his entourage for encouragement. They nodded sadly. Okron turned back to his rescuers with a sigh. His name is Antar Kosen. He is a slave trader. He gestured around him. We are his merchandise. What a clever <laughs> bloke. 
I mean, like them Wayne Forrester and you. Yeah, obviously. And you, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. No, he is great. He really brings the story to life. I mean, the characters just sing, don't they? It's wonderful yeah. to hear it. He's a, he's a clever, he's a clever one, that one. And it really does let you imagine what it might have been, you know, as an audio production. I think so, yeah. It's very visual, so we can imagine what it would have uh, looked like on the screen. It's incredible. Yeah. Very, very much yeah. so. Yes, Thunderbirds meets Lost in Space is the, the comp I, I tend to give. And, uh, and I think it's definitely there. Yes, and uh, in the second part, which we'll be hearing next week, obviously that particular story will conclude, mm. but there are a few hints and clues towards oh, the end oh, of next week's episode yeah, yeah. pointing to an ongoing arc through Ooh. all ten stories, which is resolved in the very final story <gasps> called The Recluse. Oh, we love Ooh. a resolve and a recluse. We do. We do. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that was my idea, the arc. That's not in the original treatment. I do explain in the book why I did it, but it's just to get you turning from page to page, from story to story until the very end. Uh, it's mar- rather marvellous. And you can actually physically turn those pages in the paperback version, which is available from the <gasps> Jerry Anderson store or from Amazon. Aha. Great. There you go. Enjoy. And it's got a lovely it's a cover. Risky Four. Very, yeah, brilliant. purple cover, hasn't it? It's it is lovely. very purple. Yeah, yeah it's true. very, very nice. Uh, anyway, there we go. Uh, yes. Richard James. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to share with us from the world of the Podstrons, who are well, always uh, touching base with us and saying things and doing things and stuff? Well, yes, yes. Let's head on over to Twitter, shall we? Uh, because people have been hashtagging us, as ever. Hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast and tagging me, Richard N. James, and him over there. I'm Jamie Anderson and him over there. Well, yes, in a minute, Chris. That's at Chris Dalek. Uh, now, Lost in Transition has shown every week how easy it is to let the world know that you're listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast because over on Twitter, he tweets every Monday. And this week, he tweeted, since it's Monday, it must be listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast Day with Jamie Anderson, Chris Dalek, uh, Chris Dale, and Richard N. James pouring Jerry Anderson nuggets of joy into my ears. I may. <laughs> Have mixed up a few metaphors there, but hopefully you've got the idea. Yeah, I'm not sure you can pour nuggets into ears unless you <laughs> what blend them first, a bit of water, a bit of oil or something to help uh, help them on the way in. Yeah. Now, uh, did you Ooh. see this, uh, Jamie? Dane posted a picture uh, and commented, "My AI art of an older Joe 90 working Ooh. on space debris." Yes, did I, you see that? I did. I did see it's it. Lovely. It's, it's, very, very, nice. uh, very unexpected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I like that very much. Spy Hard Podcast tweeted, Excitement is go. Adventure is go. Danger is go. International Rescue take to the skies for their big screen adventure today on Film 4 here in the UK at 5.20 with 1966's Thunderbirds Are Go. What are your thoughts on this? And do you think we should cover it? Well, Becca responded immediately. You should. It's a brilliant film. It would be cool to see a podcast crossover with yourselves and maybe Jamie Anderson or the Jerry Anderson podcast. Well, never say mm. never. Never say never. No, we like a bit of crossover. Yes, uh, Thunderbirds I Go. I mean, the films are very often on Film 4 here in the UK. Yeah. Uh, always worth a look out for that. Kevin Magnet has tweeted from the US saying, Jerry Anderson is one of those guys who you would never expect to be like uh, the top 50 most influential people. But Samantha Barb replied, well, for some reason, he never just landed at all in the US, even compared to other British stuff that developed cult followings over here. I bet his influence seems way less surprising if you grew up in the UK. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair, isn't it? It's a very varied thing, isn't it? Mm. Depending on what shows were popular, how many were popular, all that sort of yeah. stuff. That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, Will Overton speaks for many of the Podstrons when he tweeted, Hardly a day goes by when I don't spend a little time trying to think of a really good 80s-esque toy or cartoon series or Jerry Anderson show. 
yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we can all relate to that. Time well spent, time well spent. Yeah, exactly. And finally, here's a good one. Shane, well, he noticed a question on the chase yesterday. Which Jerry Anderson series featured Captain Black? To which the contestant replied, Oh, I know it. Um, It was the one with Captain Scarlet in it. Um, Was it Stingray? No. <laughs> Seriously? There you go. That's the chase. They're very popular. I think it's worldwide now, They uh, that quiz, quiz show. They very often have... Uh, Jerry Anderson related questions and there's a, a bit of a fail that Shane noticed mm. yeah, just a bit yeah but do keep your tweets coming we love to read them and if they're fun I'll read them out next time excellent well that's exciting and Isn't I it? look forward to you reading yeah. them yeah good good now Chris Dale is uh, waiting eagerly in the wings yes or on the wings of Thunderbird 2 perhaps oh, I yeah, don't know he is. Uh, uh, he'll be here momentarily doing his randomizer. So, uh, Richard, I may normally say what the randomizer is. Or do you want to just let anyone who doesn't know what oh, it is well, know now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's a machine. Oh, it's got a big red button. Chris presses it. It selects a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson series. Chris watches it, comments on it, makes funny comments about it, tells us what he thinks. Brilliant. And it's as hilarious and brilliant <laughs> as Richard made it sound. So, without further ado, Thanks, Richard. Heck. Yeah. You're not doing that again. What? Over to the randomizer for the randomizer. Did that not help? <sighs> not really. Marina, Marina, where are you? It's time to do the randomizer. Marina, where? Oh, a letter with my name on. Hmm, must be for me. Let's see. Uh, dear Doofus, a promising start. I've taken the randomizer in for its five-year checkup, so you'll have to make do without it for just one week. Oh, now, of all the times. She knows I do this every Monday. What's the girl playing at? Oh, there's more. Uh, I told you this was coming weeks ago, but I'm sure you'll have forgotten. Why do I stay with you? Blah, blah, blah. P-T-O. Oh. Uh, luckily for you, I've saved your bacon once again. Play the tape. Tape. Tip. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, she must mean this one. Hmm, there's nothing marked on it. Must be something quite old if it's only available on VHS. P.S. It's not Anderson. Oh, that's useful. But there is an Anderson connection, okay? Think about whose birthday it would have been on the day this edition of the podcast first goes out. Yours, whether I like it or not, Marina. Well, she's got lovely handwriting, at least. Birthday, birthday. Now, who from the Anderson universe has a February 27th birthday? Oh, the only one I can think of is that effects guy, David Mi- Oh! Oh, well, if this is an episode of that show- I mean, that'd be just perfect. I mean, it's one of the most Anderson-influenced kid shows of all time. Oh, that girl is good to me. Uh, well then, everybody, I think this means we're heading back to the late 1980s today for an explosive look at the life of tugboats in the 1920s. I knew this old VCR would come in handy someday. The tugboat, for its size, is the most powerful craft afloat. And the Star Tugs are the power behind the docks and waterways that make up the big city port. This is Tugs. Well now, I am sure the majority of listeners out there are going to be very confused right now. What on earth is this? And uh, is it Anderson? No, but there will be a slim, I think, minority of people listening to this who A, will recognise what this is, and B, be quite excited. This is, as the opening titles said, this is Tugs. Um, that was 
the voice of Patrick Allen, guest uh, actor in UFO, The Protectors, and Space 1999. But more importantly, why are we looking at an episode of a non-Anderson series? Well... To run a fleet of tugs, you have to be prepared to take on any job. One of the most difficult and dangerous was handling the big naval munition ships. If you've been listening to the randomizer on the Jerry Anderson podcast for a, a long time, uh, almost as long as I've been doing it, in fact, you may remember in the very early days, I reviewed an episode of something called Paul Star, indeed the only episode of Paul Star, uh, a sci-fi puppet thing produced by Roberta Lee and with the voice of Ed Bishop. And I reviewed it then thinking it was interesting that you have someone who has worked with Anderson trying to do their own Anderson equivalent and failing. You're under Navy jurisdiction. Obey orders and wait late made my inspection. I wanted to do this today because I feel this is more the flip side of that. Tugs was um, created or co-created, produced, directed. This episode was written by one David Mitten. David Mitten, who started his career in the uh, special effects model department on Thunderbirds. I believe he was there from Thunderbirds till UFO. So the man saw a lot of explosions and a lot of vehicles. And that's uh, what this episode is uh, largely going to be about. As the title implies, explosions. Um, So it's, you know, it's a very tenuous link to the Anderson universe, but the fact that there is a significant link, this episode is, I mean, the whole series of Tugs is strongly influenced by Anderson stuff. They're loading munitions and taking fuel aboard the same ship. But this episode in particular just feels like David Mitten paying tribute to Thunderbirds and the world of Anderson. Just, it's his Thunderbirds disaster movie tribute episode. Since it's his birthday, I'm very happy to be here today talking about a superb episode of a very underrated television series. Yes, this is a series about um, talking boats with with smiley faces. I'm standing by, waiting for... Also produced by the same people who made uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, the original model series of Thomas the Tank Engine. And don't leave it till I tell you Unlike Thomas, however, this is aimed at a slightly older age group. And this episode in particular leans heavily into that. But it's also very strange because this episode deals with some dark, even dare I say it, slightly grown-up themes and yet it's a show about um, talking boats with smiley faces. It only ran for one season in the UK of 13 episodes, so um, I think you can tell, probably. I'm fond of it, but I can also see why this never came back for more, because it's just... I don't make highway... It's pitched at an age group that um, I'm not sure ever really existed. Anyway, I'm sure there are some very confused people out there right now. I can't... The setup for this series is, we have... It's the 1920s. An American-ish looking port big city port and two rival fleets of tugboats competing for for business in the ports and sort of working together to avoid disaster at times that is not funny it would ruin my image all of the characters are fairly stereotypical indeed the voices are are uk regional specific which is quite strange for a u.s setting do i have to earn a living with this motley crew i would tell you who all these characters are we've just about had enough of top hats insults he's more trouble than he's worth again i think some of you will be familiar with the show heavily familiar with the show i suspect but also, you know, there's really no point in, in explaining. Again, they are stereotypes. There's the young, cocky one. There's the um, the fuddy-duddy there, top hat. He was my favourite. Uh, slow-moving, um, quite 
dopey but well-meaning warrior. Right. <laughs> it was a, a lovely cast of characters on both sides, and what was great about this was, although you had the good tugs and the bad tugs, um, it was a bit... You know, the, the lines were a bit greyer than that. Sometimes the good tugs could do something stupid. Sometimes the bad tugs could could be good or or even have good advice um and this episode is very much the two teams working together but worth a great deal of money you may have also twigged uh, if i've left enough of the story going on in the background because i've got a lot to talk about here now listen you two towing this lot the two tug teams are um are dealing with naval munitions uh, there's a uh, munitions delivery being made to a, a naval tramper munitions and petrol being loaded on the same boat. Silly games, okay? You don't have to be that brave. Obviously, you, you don't even need someone to say what could possibly go wrong. Your job is to deliver that barge directly to the naval tramper Krakatoa. To know that something is going to go wrong. Two different orders, ignore him and refer him to me. We also have another element in this story. A slightly Windsor Davies Sergeant Majorish character. Hey. Next. Blue Nose. That Blue Nose told me he was in charge and that I must obey orders. Blue Nose is a Navy tug. I think he was in only in a couple of episodes. Remember that, Tarantino. You've heard him going around telling everybody what to do and what's what. This trip's worth twenty. He will not come out of this episode well, as you might imagine. Heard of toes? <laughs> if we don't get blown up. Hmm. Uh, you just listen to the fact again. I re I remind you if you haven't seen the show, talking boats, smiley faces, talking about being blown up potentially. With this doom-laden, atmospheric score, um, it is still daytime, so it's nice and bright. That's not going to last much longer. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, as a kid, I, I was hugely into the original model series of Thomas the Tank Engine, and also this series. I, I watched this when it was first on. Indeed, uh, I actually, my mum somehow got hold of David Mitten's address. To move out of my way, this Before the show was even on the air, they'd released some videotapes, and she sent him a letter explaining how much we enjoyed the show. He sent back an amazing... He, uh, there was a publicity pack with all sorts of uh, little bits and pieces in there, but he'd written a nice letter to her, and he wrote to me a letter from my favourite tug, Top Hat. Uh, I still have all of this stuff. I think it's such a lovely thing for him to do. And he says in the, in the reply, it was one of the first pieces of fan mail, if not the first piece of fan mail they had connected with the show, so that's something I'm... I'm quite pleased about. Uh, I have all of the Star Tugs autographs on there as well. Bar OJ, I guess he had other duties that day. Explosives to them. But here we are. This is where we get into our Thunderbirds territory. They're dangerous loads, except Zon. It's now night time. The munitions and the oil and everything else is being loaded aboard be Krakatoa. You know this lot. Attention! Attention! It's a, such an Anderson setup here. Come alongside, move aside. Bruno's has arrived. Circle on your funnel and move. And he's very much a, a stickler for procedure. Yeah, you, Mister, move that barge. My load's first. Order in which things must be done. Loaded. Get pension off. Our good tugs and our bad tugs are gathered round, saying, yes. "This is very silly." Go and draw your pension, OJ. You bastard. <laughs> Shut it. The panel is right. We're not moving that barge, mister. And that's a great example of what I mean. That was the, the leader of the bad tugs, Zoran, telling off one of his henchmen for saying, Oi, no, hang on. The munitions, right? The old guy on the good team is right, because this is really dangerous. Tells Big Mickey what to do. Well, I... I mean, it's all done in a water tank. I think it was done in Shepperton Studios. Yeah, what's... But the models look terrific, and now that it's nighttime, there's a real nice atmosphere in the place. Yeah, I'm coming alongside. 
This barge has to be unloaded. I've got orders too. It's ten cents of the good... Uh, Tugs has arrived with a petrol canister. See about that. Now just move aside and let me through. But Blue Nose wants to get in there first. Barge is on Do not give me orders. If I want to move, I move. And I bump that barge full of... Oh dear. What happened there, you dummies? Oh no! Well, needless to say, a little bit of a fire has broken out. No way, I know what's on that barge. Get clear, the whole thing's gonna blow. And from this point on, Where you are? this episode is just pure Thunderbirds. Listen to these sound effects. They still ain't obey order. Move out, move And tell me differently. Ten cents, cut your barge rope. Oh, and the lighting is instantly moody and atmospheric. Everything is on fire and exploding. Still in and they gain the dramatic music, and you have to remember, on, go on. this is a children's show about talking boats. The whole set is on fire at this point. I'm going to help. Don't be a fool, Ten Cents. Get out of there. He's right. Move. He's got himself into this. Leave him. Yeah, both Zoran and OJ urging Ten Cents to leave silly old Blue Nose to his fate. Kinga. Which is, again, very, very grown up and atmospheric. But uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, this episode, all the explosions spooked me. I was far too, too young, uh, I suppose, immature, really, to see something like this. It just shows the differences, the two ends of the spectrum that this show is working at. Severe drama and silly boats with talking faces. And that is a pure Anderson shot to the extent that as a kid I thought it was lifted from Captain Scarlet. Those sirens, that explosion sound effect, and just the close-up of the sirens making that noise. The fire has now reached. The dock of the the dockyard crane, Big Mickey. Just hope Mickey gets it right, otherwise he'll sink us. He's trying to move himself out of the way. Another explosion. Big Mickey! And that's it. Big Mickey's dock has... Oh, it's sunk. The crane has now fallen forward. Oh, he's done it. He's fallen sideways. But he managed to move himself just in time to avoid hitting the tugs. Too late to save himself... Uh, and Big Mickey sinks below the surface of the water. That was too close for comfort. It took real skill to make that move. He saved us all for sure. He's dead. They just killed a character in the uh, Talking Boat show. I'm sorry, I, I, I hate to keep coming back to that, but it's just a brilliant example of what the hell show. Fire tug won't be much good. Look at that trapper! Although uh, this episode, uh, I'm watching the 20-minute version that was released on, on VHS. When the show went out on air, it was shown as, I think, 15. So this episode lost about five minutes, and there was a redubbed bit of narration from Patrick Allen saying that even though he was in the water, he survived. Uh, despite the fact that the rest of the characters play it as he's dead, and you never see him again in the course of the series. Oh, dear. It is, again, one of those shows where the episode running order doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, follow on top, Hut. Fire at your dog. I'd love to join you, but these two are in a right state. Uh, yeah, this was this guy was my favourite top hat. The very uppity, pompous, and he's, he is wearing a top hat and a monocle. The only fire you are going to see, I can tell you this for a fact, is the one I will set under your tracks if you don't get a move on. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the point of quoting this episode verbatim, but just listen to those explosions. The aft order's blown out of So it's just the same sound effects library. God, they were really big explosions. I would recommend anyone, if you haven't seen this show, seek it out, in particular this episode. It's arrived. What's on board or rip her apart? It's so dramatic and it is so much a homage to Thunderbirds. This, you could edit this, 
remove the, the shots of the, the boat's faces. Dabby. And it would just make superb thunderbirds. Spreading! And that means puff at the dockside. I don't quite know how you how you edit it without the Thunderbirds cast, but um Go on, Go on. Yes. I do hope I'm not alone in, in feeling the Thunderbirds is an influence not only on this episode in particular, but on this series. Uh, I know I'm not alone in um, being, you know, someone who's slightly involved with Anderson E. Thunderbird stuff who was a fan of and enjoyed and appreciated this show. Uh, I, during a break in recording on one of the Thunderbirds audios, several of us were talking about um, this show and just how great it was. Here's a line for a kid's show. That's all we needed. The Petros caught fire. <laughs> and that yes. tank's fully loaded. I must try and get it out to sea. Yeah, go on. We haven't had a life or death situation in all 30 seconds now. Throw yourself in there. What's that? And here's Warrior. It. Yes, right. With the, uh, the garbage barge Lord Stinker. I hear it's Skype Night Sheila's Delight. Poor old Lord Stinker has a clothes peg over his nose because it's that smelly. It's north, not west. Fuck! Warrior is, um, very loyal, very dumb but he'll always come to the rescue and crucially he has a teeny tiny fire hose on his hat we've done over rather him than me yeah all the tugs have hats in this show no drivers to speak of no humans are ever seen i don't think either i'm you turned up give 10 cents and he's burning up get that thing out of here quick what do you think i was doing i'm not here to keep warm you know but the beats the story beats in this episode are very much how it would be done if it was a live action show Behind me, Brunals! For instance. Oh, him. Him who gives all the orders. Well, he won't be giving any more now. He's in shock. Yeah, Blue Nose is in shock. Um, is suffering severe PTSD, clearly. He's just sitting in the corner trembling. And he will be trembling for the remainder of the episode. Oh, we've got to try and stop the fire from spreading! Yeah, try and fail. I'm taking this out to sea, sunshine. So many beautiful explosions. Back there. Hey, what you've got there looks far more dangerous than me. That's a bomb, man. Just leave it, will you? I'd love to know the thought process in this beyond just let's do a Thunderbirds tribute episode. If any thought was given to the fact that this really is not a story for this kind of show. But let's do it anyway. I would have to also assume that there were other people working on the show who came from the same stable as, as David Mitten, who had also served on the um, the Anderson effects team at some point. Fast. His lights may be on, but there's no one there. <laughs> at least he's in there. Probably would have been a nice sense of camaraderie putting this together. Just remember the Thunderbirds days? Yeah, let's do it again. Can't seem to stop it. There we go. Another building gone. The Tugs are having a very hard time of... Um, putting the fire out. Blame water on it, sunshine! Stop the spread! Stop the spread! And now it's reached a fuel dump that Warrior is protecting. Yeah, it's gonna blow! One canister has gone up. There were six to start with. One's gone. Two gone. Well. Three gone. Four gone. Ooh, bit, and I love that bit. Five gone. And can he save the last one? No, because it was the whole thing was just an excuse to have a series of explosions. Um, but yeah, that's a, a brilliant example of effects going wrong. The um, the model of Warrior there was hit by a huge piece of shrapnel right on the side of his head, and they add a bit of dialogue to cover it. 
can't see this barge doing much good, mister, <laughs> but you're in charge. Zoran is now helping, bringing in the fire barge. To They're going to try and put out the tramp because I think everything on the dockside has exploded by this point. I'm not starting to smoke. Meanwhile, ten cents with his petrol. Second. It's on fire. Gotta get out of here. Oh, only makes it a, like a quarter of a foot away from the thing before it explodes. It's ten cents. The oil barge. I must have. The, the models in this show, which still survive, luckily to this day, most of them, uh, in one form or another. The models are very close to the explosions in this, and yet they seem to have survived unharmed. Over any moment now, there's nothing more we can do. Oh, that's it. We've done all we can. Stand clear, she's going! Oh my god, it's so tense! It's like something out of, I don't know. I mean, we're sort of beyond Thunderbirds at this point. We're into something like the Towering Inferno. Just the, the fact that we all just have to give in and let it burn. This poor Tramper with the dramatic music. No one can do anything. And Blue Nose is still having his um, psychotic episode in the corner. There she goes, Krakatoa. With one final eruption from her funnel, is sunk. Just look at the state of the dockside. Yeah, beautiful. Could have happened. If Sunshine and Warrior hadn't contained the fire, it could have easily spread to the city. Well done, all of you. We could have had a city of fire. It's that Bloomin' Anderson's fault. If he hadn't done such a good job in the 60s, this dockyard wouldn't have blown up. Well, well, well. Get a drift of that, will you, well, lads? Top hat, all dressed up and nowhere to go. The fire is, for the most part, out. And it's now the next morning. Where is Ten Cents? Should have been back by now. We must all salute a very brave Tug who saved us from... Oh, no. Oh, and talk about a beautifully shot... Hero's Return. Ten Again, with superb music, the music on this show was just brilliant. What happened? Well, just everything on this show was brilliant, and if you haven't seen it, I hugely recommend seeking it out. All of the episodes are available on YouTube, but I would definitely recommend, with this episode in particular, you have to watch the 20-minute version. The 15-minute doesn't quite do it. Strange jobs before, but never have I brought in a switcher and taken away a twitcher. Ah, yes. That's um, Blue Nose being towed away, still having his meltdown, just shaking his head. He can't believe what he's done. Bad temper. Again, this is an, a great example of the tone of the series just being so dark for children. Listen to some of this. Sense and O.J. Wright and Nurse. But common sense from all three would have prevented the fire starting. Uh-huh. Always respect fire. If you don't, it will destroy you, your surroundings, and your friends. Hear that, kiddies? Five-year-old kiddies watching the show about talking boats? If you don't respect fire, everyone you love will die. Oh, well, that was Tugs. Munitions. I'm not going to return to the series on the randomizer. I hugely recommend, if you haven't seen the series before, go and look it up. And even if you don't have time to do the whole show... Just watch this episode because it is such a loving tribute to the Anderson shows and Thunderbirds in particular that it's well worth a look. Happy birthday, David. Hang, oh. hang on a minute. What? <laughs> what? Just a minute. Uh, what? Chris Chris and uh, Marina have broken broken the yes, rules the of the randomizer. <gasps> wow. uh, I'm not sure how I, mean, I feel about this. Well, all bets are off then, aren't they? I mean, what, we, what next? It. Gosh, a random episode of well, I was going to say keeping up appearances. <laughs> uh, uh, well, an, an well, episode well. of Channel Four Racing <sighs> from 1989 with John McCruick. I mean, gosh, what, but, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> doesn't really matter anymore, does it, Chris? Nothing matters. In fact, Ooh. this isn't even the Jerry Anderson podcast. Let's just... Uh, Ooh, well, what, what have we got on the shelf up there? Well, he's gone out on a um, limb there, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh, look, I've got a Blue Peter annual from 1979. Oh. Let's just uh, do that as the theme for the Jerry Anderson podcast next week. Chris, I mean, lovely fascinating and the David yeah. Mitten connection makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, great yeah. I mean, he's in charge don't blame us I feel a bit discombobulated I must say well you know we just have to live with it yeah. deal with it in our own way Potterons I want to know what you think of this deviation oh I think they'll tell um, us please email us podcast at jerryanson.com and um, as Marina addressed her letter to Chris there please do feel free to start it dear doofus um, <laughs> seem very appropriate after that. Anyway, I mean, Cranky, well, next week another random episode who knows? of, of something. Who blooming knows what? <laughs> Perhaps it's the Archers next week. Uh, episode of Country File. Mm. Uh, maybe we'll Doctor Who. Let's Could see. Be. Could be. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to do with myself. I think I need. All a, right. Cold shower or something. Let's go with it. Okay. Anyway, uh, anything from the uh, Posterons, Richard? uh... That's it for this week, but rest assured there'll be more emails, Twitterings, Facebookings, and YouTubings next week. Gosh, I look forward to all those and particularly to see what the randomizer is next week. Yes. Uh, Yeah. There we are. Uh, uh, Posterons, please, you know, lots of you have left us ratings and reviews uh, since my plea a few weeks ago, and we're super, super grateful. Um, We're still very low percent wise of people who uh, of subscribe or follow the podcast uh, and have yep. left reviews so if you'd like to send those uh, numbers up then please do those things at your earliest convenience um, yeah. and please don't uh, reduce your rating because we had tugs on the uh, oh no the don't podcast. do that in fact for many people I know actually that will increase interest <laughs> so, exactly he's done go. us a favour yeah well done Chris actually now, yeah. now I think about it what a genius see, that chap is it, it's win win he's not a doofus at all he's a, he's a genius <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, uh, Podstorons will be back in your ears next week for Pod 247, when I will be a year older. Um, yes. But Richard will that. still look just as young as ever. So yeah, You are sweet. I try. Uh, right. Goodbye. Have uh, a great week. What? Will we be um, sexing puppets next week, or is that just I, one week only? Do you know what? I think we're done with sexing and tugs oh. for one week. So let's move on. All right. That's the end <clears> of 246. See you Bye. in 247. Goodbye. Jamie. What? You're completely discombobulated, aren't you? You've I'm, gone I'm really, all over the shop. Yeah, I just, I just don't yeah. know how to feel. Cause... Oh, okay. Listen, change is good. Accept it. Relish it. Use it? it. Learn from it. Okay. In fact, I have heard that he's not even going to be using the randomizer next week. It's going to be the predictulator. 
the print. Where he's going to he's going to review and rate an entirely predictable episode of a Jerry Anderson series. Okay, well, I, that's great. I'm very I'm very much up for that. I think after that randomizer being so random, you need a bit of predictability. I, I really do. Well, I'll tell you what, then. How's about we gather again, same time, next week, and do about another hour and a half's worth of a Jerry Anderson podcast. How predictable is that? Oh, that makes me feel a lot better. Okay, There good. you go. Yes. Yeah? All good. Right. Done. Thank you so much. See you. Uh, see you same time next week? Yes. Good. Okay. <sighs> Bye. Predictable as ever, Doctor. <laughs> you have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.